0: Welcome back to The Law. I am D.K. Williams, and this is episode 21, Loving v. a 1967 United States Supreme Court case, and you might know of this one. They've made several movies about it, one not too long ago. and You might have heard that this case gave interracial couples the right to marry, but it didn't, and I'll tell you why. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at the Launchpad Media dot com and remember follow me on Twitter at bluecarp and on Facebook.com dot com slash bluecarp and check out my blog bluecarp dot net but Dave, you say everyone knows the Supreme Court of the United States in loving versus Virginia gave the right to marry to interracial couples. Ah, but it didn't. I saw the movie, Dave well, I'm sure you did, and those of you who have been listening or otherwise know where I'm going. The Supreme Court did not grant the Lovings or any other couple the right to get married. The Supreme Court said in that case, and we'll get into the details, but they said states like Virginia could not use its force, its authority, state force, state authority, to punish people who exercised their natural right to associate with someone else. It just so happens that this case deals with a specific right of association, the right to get married. Now, remember, the state and the Constitution itself does not grant a single Right. The founders knew this. The Constitution was written with that in mind. The Constitution limits the power of the government to restrict your natural rights. The rights you have simply because you are a human being. In this particular case involving with Lovings, the state of Virginia was exercising its authority to jail people who married into a politically disfavored association. The state of Virginia disfavored through the political process. Black and white folks get married. That's what it's about. So they were going to use state violence. To prevent that by threatening to put people in jail if they got married and if they were interracial, specifically just black and white. They didn't care if you were like Asian and black. That, wasn't, that was specifically not included in their statute. And the Supreme Court in this case said, hey, no, Virginia, there is no miscegenation clause. Or at least you, Virginia, you cannot lock people in a cage because they want to marry someone of a different color. That is an illegitimate use of government force or government authority. All right. So we're talking about Loving versus Virginia. Who was Loving? Well, there were two Lovings. Mildred Jeter Loving, and her husband, Richard Loving. Virginia, obviously, of course, is the state of Virginia, one of the original 13 colonies. This was a unanimous decision in the U.S. Supreme Court 9-0. It was written by Chief Justice Earl Warren. And this time when I list or talk about the Supreme Court justices, I'm just going to mention who appointed them because I find that interesting to some degree. So, Chief Justice Earl Warren was appointed by Eisenhower. He wrote the opinion. He was joined by John Marshall Harlan. This is the younger one. He was also appointed by Eisenhower. If you remember, we discussed Plessy versus Ferguson in episode seven. Well, this John Marshall Harlan's great grandfather wrote the lone dissent. One Supreme Court justice dissented correctly in Plessy v. Ferguson. So, John Marshall Harlan the Younger is on this case, Loving v. Virginia, and his grandfather was the lone dissenter in Plessy. All right, also on the court, and part of the unanimous decision, Hugo Black, appointed by FDR, William O. Douglas. Also pointed by FDR, he had a couple of great quotes that just popped out when I was looking at uh, a little bit about him. He said this, or wrote this, in a dissent in a case called Colton v. Kentucky. And I might have to do a podcast on this one in the future. But William Douglas said, Since when have Americans been expected to bow submissively to authority and speak with awe and reverence to those who represent us? Awesome quote. Another dissent in Public Utilities Commission versus Pollock. He said simply, The right to be left alone is indeed the beginning of all freedom. Alright, a little bit about Justice Douglas. Also on the case, part of the unanimous decision, Potter Stewart, also appointed by Eisenhower, and he wrote a short concurrence. He's in the majority. I'll read you the entire thing in about two seconds near the end of this podcast. Justice William Brennan, also appointed by Eisenhower. Colorado's own Byron Whizzer-White, who came in second for the Heisman Trophy voting in 1937, playing for the University of Colorado. He lost out to Larry Kelly of Yale. Byron White, appointed by JFK. Earl Warren, also on the court, also in the unanimous decision, appointed by Ike Eisenhower. Tom C. Clark, and I'm sure he had to use that C, Tom C. Clark, because Tom Clark is such a common name. And being David Williams, I can relate, hence the DK. Tom C. Clark was appointed by Harry Truman. And last of the nine, Abe Fortas, who was appointed by LBJ. So those are the guys who All agreed that Virginia could not use government violence to prevent people from being married if they were of an unfavored political association. In this case, black and white. All right, so straight from Chief Justice Warren's opinion, here are the facts. He lays it out. In June 1958, two residents of Virginia, Mildred Jeter, a Negro woman, and Richard Loving, white man, were married in the District of Columbia pursuant to its laws. Shortly after their marriage, the Lovings returned to Virginia and established their marital abode in Caroline County. At the October term of 1958, in the Circuit Court of Caroline County, state court stuff, a grand jury issued an indictment. Charging the Lovings with violating Virginia's ban on interracial marriages. On January 6, 1959, the Lovings pled guilty to the charge because they were guilty. The question is that that statute is unconstitutional, but as it was written, they were guilty. They pled guilty. They were sentenced to one year in jail. However, the trial judge suspended the sentence, means you don't have to go to jail, for a period of five years on the condition that the Lovings leave the state and not return to Virginia for another 25 years. Kind of reminds me of like the stereotypical like Western, where somebody is told to get out of town by sundown and don't come back, right? That's what the this local circuit court judge told the Lovings. All right, if you guys leave, no problem. If you don't, you're going to jail for a year. Kind of some frontier justice in Virginia. This circuit court judge, this trial court judge, who sentenced them to one year and said, if you guys leave, we're not going to put you in jail. He wrote in his opinion, now listen to this just blatant racism, quote, almighty god created the races white black yellow malay and red and he placed them on separate continents and but for the interference with his arrangement there would be no cause of such marriage the fact that he separated the races shows that he god did not intend for the races to mix. Wow, let's just stop there for a second. This racism, this institutional racism of this judge, it really reflects the attitude of many at the time. I mean, this is, and it's not that long ago, 50 years ago. So this state court judge used religion to justify government punishment. Now, I grew up going to Sunday school and I don't ever recall Jesus saying anything about the government punishing people. Now, if I'm mistaken, let me know. Jesus spoke of judgment before God only. Jesus wasn't concerned with man's judgment at all but how many in politics in 2019 today use religion as a basis for government punishment or want to they want to use it as a basis of government punishment more than a few and it's not any one particular region religion it's not just christians other religions are guilty of this too so it was really horrible in the 60s and it still exists today back to the facts of this case after their convictions the lovings took up residence in the district of columbia so they did leave virginia but then on november 6 of 1963 they filed a motion in the Virginia State Trial Court to vacate the judgment that they had they'd pled guilty to it because they'd violated the, the statute. And they asked that sentence be set aside on the ground that the Virginia statutes that made it illegal to intermarry violated the 14th Amendment. Basically, the, the trial judge or a trial judge sat on it for almost an entire year. And so the Lovings instituted a class action in the United States District Court. So the state court judge kind of sat on this and ignored it. So they got together with some other people affected by the statute, filed a class action in federal court. They asked that the federal court, a three-judge panel, to declare the anti-miscegenation statute's unconstitutional and to enjoin, stop the state from enforcing their convictions or anybody else's convictions. Then 1965, the state trial judge denied, they finally got around to it after the federal court action was filed. The state trial judge denied the motion to vacate the sentences. So then the Lovings, I mean, they wanted to move this through this court system. So they wanted a judgment. They wanted just a ruling of some kind so they could take this up higher. So the Lovings appealed from the trial court, in essence, the trial court, to the Supreme Court of Appeals of Virginia. And there, the Supreme Court of Appeals of Virginia upheld the constitutionality of the anti-miscegenation statutes. So they said, yeah, there's nothing wrong with these statutes. We can punish you for this. And from there, from the Virginia highest state court court of appeals, they took it to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court said, yes, we will hear this. And what does miscegenation mean? According to a random internet dictionary that I found online, it means, quote, miscegenation is the mixing of different racial groups through marriage, cohabitation, sexual relations, or procreation, particularly mixing that is perceived to negatively impact the purity of a particular race or culture. Just outright racism, right? So at the time, Virginia and 16 other states, and we'll briefly list them, had... Such statutes making it illegal for people of different races to marry. The decision itself. One thing I found interesting in this case. Of course, you have lawyers for the two sides in this case, right? The Lovings have their lawyer, and the state of Virginia has their government attorneys arguing that their anti-miscegenation racist statute is is constitutional. But there was an amicus curiae, and amicus is literally means a friend of the court. Because sometimes people or organizations that are not parties to the case like you're not the Lovings and you're not the state of Virginia, they want to help, you know, quote unquote, help the court by presenting their own arguments that perhaps the actual parties uh, won't make for some reason or another. And in this case, an amicus was filed by the Japanese American Citizens League because they wanted these statutes struck down too. Now, you have to get permission from the court to file an amicus brief. Otherwise, they won't let you file it. You can't just randomly say, hey, I want to be heard on this. Because you can imagine the number of briefs that might get filed on on a controversial issue if there was no limit. So they won't read it unless they give you permission to file it. Jumping right into the case, Chief Justice Warren lays out the issue. He said, this case presents a constitutional question never addressed by this court. Whether a statutory scheme adopted by the state of Virginia... To prevent marriages between persons solely on the basis of racial classifications violates the equal protection and due process clauses of the Fourteenth Amendment for reasons which seem to us to reflect the central meaning of those constitutional commands. We conclude that these statutes cannot stand consistently with the Fourteenth Amendment. So he lays it out, gives you the answer, and he writes uh, about how they got there. And we've discussed the Fourteenth Amendment several times. And here's the relevant part for this case: No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities, important phrase, of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, another key phrase, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection, another key phrase, of the laws. Warren continues, the two statutes under which appellants, that's the Lovings, were convicted and sentenced are part of a comprehensive statutory scheme aimed at prohibiting and punishing interracial marriages. So think about that. There's a comprehensive statutory scheme aimed at prohibiting and punishing interracial marriages. Now, this language is important because it it supports a belief in the fact that our Constitution is based on natural rights and the fact that governments do not grant rights. So the lovings were not granted the right to marry. The U.S. Supreme Court is saying that Virginia's ban on their marriage was illegitimate. Virginia's asserted authority to punish them was illegitimate. The state did not have that authority. We all have the right to associate with whomever we please as human beings. That's a natural right. Marriage is just a specific type of association. The state has no business in that type of relationship. And that's what the U.S. Supreme Court said as it applies to this couple. Let's look at the Virginia statutes themselves. Section 528 of the Virginia Code at the time was titled Leaving State to Evade Law. Quote, If any white person and colored person shall go out of the state for the purpose of being married, and with the intention of returning, and be married out of it, and afterwards return, and reside in the state, cohabiting as man and wife, they shall be punished as provided in the other other section. And the marriage shall be governed by the same law as if it had been solemnized in this state. The fact of their cohabitation here as man and wife shall be evidence of their marriage. Now the punishment for marriage in the next section. If any white person intermarry with a colored person or any colored person intermarry with a white person, he shall be guilty of a felony and shall be punished by confinement in the penitentiary for not less than one year, nor more than five years. So here the Lovings were sentenced to the minimum, one year, just one year in prison you know, not in jail, but in prison. And also note the the way it's written. The intermarriage is only banned if it involves a white person and a colored person, quote unquote, right? That's their language of the actual statute. So if two different people of color wanted to get married, Virginia didn't care. So they were just here to protect, quote unquote, you know, protect the white race. And that's exactly what the trial court judge said. Why did you spread that part? At this point, uh, well, the Supreme Court pointed out, the U.S. Supreme Court pointed out that Virginia was one of 16 states at the time that still had Statutes like this in 1967, anti miscegenation statutes. Uh, Maryland had just repealed their statute while this case was being appealed, so they're off the list. They're not on the list anymore. They repealed their statute. These are the 15 states, plus Virginia, that still have these laws Alabama, Arkansas, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and West Virginia. So let's make this point again. These laws prohibit certain people from getting married. In the absence of these laws, in the absence of a government prohibition, the marriage is available to everyone. The only time government approval of marriage matters is when government benefits or government punishments are meted out to officially state-recognized marriages for the benefits or punishment for disfavored political marriages. In the Lovings case in Virginia, between one and five years. That's the punishment. Marriages are no one's business until the state pokes their nose into other people's business. So they should stop. I believe that is the official libertarian position. It is certainly mine. And get this next part of the opinion. The central features of this act, we're talking about the Virginia statute, are the absolute prohibition of a white person marrying other than another white person. A prohibition against issuing marriage licenses until the issuing official is satisfied that the applicant's statements as to their race are correct. Think about this. A low-level government clerk, the issuing official, must look at you, approve, and give you a government stamp. Now, how does anyone who believes in religion accept this? If under your religion, God says you're married, if you're a holy man, your clergy says you're married, your church says you're married, but it's not legit until you get a low-level clerk to look at you and give you a government stamp, it's not legit. How can evangelicals or other religious people want this? I mean, it's preposterous. And the only reason they support this, and it happened in the recent gay marriage controversy, it's settle now in Obergefell v. Hodges, which we discussed in episode 12, is that these people don't want some other group to get married. They want to get in other people's business. Someone else's marriage has nothing to do with them. They want it to, however. So they welcome this power of the state into their religion to ban and punish or deny benefits to politically disfavored relationships. States should have zero regulations or rules or statutes surrounding marriage. Again, your natural state includes the right to associate with anyone, whoever you wish, marriage or otherwise. The state enters, pokes its nose into your business, and uses its force to prohibit you from exercising your natural rights in the name of the collective. And if they're not punishing you, they could also give benefits to politically favored relationships. And so this was a big issue with the gay marriages. If a legally sanctioned marriage between a man and a woman were recognized by the government because you got your government stamp, you got your clerk to look at you and approve of it, you would get different benefits from social security and other survivors' benefits that other non-recognized, non-politically favored relationships would not get. So back here in the 60s, they were punishing unfavored relationships. That was pretty much done away with, but they still gave benefits to favored relationships. So the U.S. Supreme Court, in loving, they were discussing the Virginia Supreme Court's ruling. So they quoted, the, they're talking about the Virginia Supreme Court's ruling. They said the state court, it's the Virginia court, concluded that the state's legitimate purposes were to, quote, preserve the racial integrity of its citizens and to prevent, quote, the corruption of blood, quote, a mongrel breed of citizens, and, quote, the obliteration of of racial pride. those That's what the Virginia Supreme Court said the state's legitimate interests were. That racism is just awful. I mean, it's horrifying. And it was only 50 years ago. Virginia had a constitutional argument that they could have these laws prohibit and punish politically unfavored marriages. So Virginia Supreme Court reasoned that the marriage has traditionally been subject to state regulation without federal intervention. And that part is true. So Virginia argued the regulation of marriage should be left to exclusive state control by the 10th Amendment. Now, the 10th Amendment is huge, and I'm a huge believer in the 10th Amendment and want it to come back, but it doesn't apply here. The 10th Amendment by itself, before the 14th Amendment was passed, might have worked here for them, because remember, the Bill of Rights more aptly called the Bill of Restrictions on Government, didn't apply to the states originally. Jefferson, Madison, Adams, the rest of them not worried about their home states. They were worried about the federal government. But the 14th Amendment specifically changed that. The 14th Amendment specifically told states what they could and could not do. It basically said they, what they couldn't do in, anymore. So the applicable part, and we looked at this once, but let's focus on some other words this time. The 14th Amendment, the applicable part of it, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. So the 14th Amendment is specifically addressed to the states. It says states cannot do these things. States can't deny privileges or immunities or due process or equal protection. Now, historically, we know this is the direct result of slavery. It's abolition and many state attempts at keeping black people as a lower class under the law. So the 14th Amendment said, you can't do that. States, you cannot do that. We know originally the Bill of Rights didn't apply to you guys. Now we are specifically saying, these are things you cannot do. Now, when it was passed, it was not considered to be, it did not incorporate the Bill of Rights. The US Supreme Court slowly did that under the 14th Amendment. They said, everybody has the privileges or immunities of the Bill of Rights, in essence, so states can't deprive you of any of the rights that are protected by the Bill of Rights, more properly the Bill of Restrictions on the government. So Virginia's argument about the 10th Amendment, it's not a get out of the 14th Amendment jail free card. Yes, marriage is regulated by the states, and it still is, but that regulation cannot deny privileges or immunities or equal protection to any citizen or or due process. Now the 14th Amendment, another part of it, makes explicitly clear that former slaves and their offspring are citizens. And we've talked about this before, citizen is used in the Constitution several times but so is the word people. Citizen is used. In other place, or among other places, to talk about who's qualified to vote and who's qualified to run for office. But people is used to mean everyone. So the, the First Amendment, the freedom of speech can't be abridged even if the person speaking is not legally in this country. The First Amendment refers to the right of the people, not of the citizens, because the founders understood natural rights, and even someone here illegally still had their natural rights. And so the First Amendment says the government cannot infringe upon that natural right. Virginia tried to get around this, and they acknowledged the 14th Amendment and says, you're right, that does apply to us. But since the punishment for this anti-miscegenation laws is the same for the black people and the white people, we're treating them the same. We're not violating privileges or immunities or equal protection on the basis of race. The punishment in this case for both Mr. and Mrs. Loving is the same. It's not different. So their argument is we're not treating people differently. And Virginia used to support this argument some legislative history from Congress and from some of the states that took place around the time when the 14th Amendment was passed. Now, I've noted my belief in the in the past that legislative history at best is useless and more often it's harmful. Legislative arguments are designed to paint extremes, not reality. Legislatures don't speak via one mad representative who's ranting into the microphone. Now there's hundreds of these re- representatives in Congress that is. Legislatures speak via the language of the legislation passed, only not via one person's mad rant recorded for posterity and for sound bites and for electioneering. And you've all seen someone on C-SPAN, right? If you're flipping through in the House of Representatives making some impassioned speech for the record and for sound bites, like I said. Then the camera pans back and you see it's an empty room. So what that person is saying is irrelevant to what the final words of the statute that are actually passed means, completely irrelevant. So picking parts out of speeches on the legislative floor to bolster your argument to me is absurd, and I would give it no credence whatsoever. And in this case, the Supreme Court agrees with me. The Supreme Court says, in addressing Virginia's arguments based on these statements from legislative debate that they pulled in support of their argument, Supreme Court says, the most avid proponents of the post war amendments, which is the one of them is the fourteenth Amendment, post Civil War. The most avid proponents of these amendments undoubtedly intended them to remove all legal distinctions among all persons born or naturalized in the United States. Their opponents just as certainly were antagonistic to both the letter and the spirit of the amendments and wished them to have the most limited effect. They go on, we've rejected the proposition that the requirement of equal protection of the laws is satisfied by penal laws defining classes based on racial classifications so long as white and Negro participants in the offense were similarly punished. So they're rejecting Virginia's argument. And they're saying legislative history doesn't matter. Because like I was saying, you've just got people yelling about extremes there, and you can pick some of that out and ignore the extremes on the other side or other statements that contradict the one you've cherry-picked, right? And to the argument that Virginia was punishing both Mr. and Mrs. Loving the same, not one worse than the other, Virginia argued that, hey, U.S. Supreme Court, in an 1883 case, you said that was cool, and that case was Pace versus Alabama, and the U.S. Supreme Court did say that in this 1883 case. But in Loving v. Virginia, 1967, they explicitly overruled that case. Chief Justice again writing for this unanimous court, in Loving, wrote, "...there can be no question but that Virginia's miscegenation statutes rest solely upon distinctions drawn according to race." The statutes proscribe or ban generally accepted conduct if engaged in by members of different races. Over the years, this court has consistently repudiated distinctions between citizens solely because of their ancestry as being odious to a free people whose institutions are founded upon the doctrine of equality. We have consistently denied the constitutionality of measures which restrict the rights of citizens on account of race. There can be no doubt that restricting the freedom to marry solely because of racial classifications violates the central meaning of the Equal Protection Clause. So stop right there. They're saying both loving, both of the lovings, are being punished because together they're different races. Whereas a marriage over here with two white people or two black folks, they're not being punished. So they are being treated differently because of their race. So that argument that they're both being punished the same doesn't fly. Not according to the Supreme Court and their right. The Supreme Court goes on, these statutes, these Virginia statutes, also deprive the lovings of liberty without due process of law in violation of the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. The freedom to marry has long been recognized as one of the vital personal rights essential to the orderly pursuit of happiness by free men. Again, because you're born with that right in the Virginia statutes are trying to punish you for exercising your natural rights, which you cannot do. The court goes on to deny this fundamental freedom on so unsupportable a basis as the racial classifications embodied in these statutes. Classifications so directly subversive of the principle of equality at the heart of the 14th Amendment is surely to deprive all the state citizens of liberty without due process of law. The 14th Amendment requires that the freedom of choice to marry not be restricted by invidious racial discriminations. Under our Constitution, The freedom to marry or not marry. A person of another race resides with the individual and cannot be infringed by the state. These convictions must be reversed. So that's how they close it out. Again, you can see how the natural rights analysis applies. They've got the right to marry. Virginia is illegitimately punishing them for exercising their natural rights, which you can no longer do with the 14th Amendment being passed. So here's Justice Stewart's concurrence. I told you I'd read you the whole thing. Here it goes. Justice Stewart, who was one of the nine but he wanted to say two more sentences. He said, I have previously expressed the belief that it is simply not possible for state law to be valid under our Constitution, which makes the criminality of an act dependent upon the race of the actor. Because I adhere to that belief, I concur in the judgment of the court. That's it. That's succinct. Something lawyers are not always known for. So in Loving v. Virginia, we've learned that the Supreme Court of the United States did not grant the Lovings the right to get married. The Lovings already had that right. And the state of Virginia was denying them that right with an illegitimate exercise of state authority. And it's not sugarcoated. Virginia was denying them their natural right to associate in a marriage with an illegitimate use of state violence. And make no mistake, putting someone in a cage is violence. So the Supreme Court in Loving v. Virginia did away with at least one aspect of illegitimate state violence. I'm D.K. Williams, and this has been The Law, Episode 21, Loving v. Virginia, and we're brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network. Always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at launchpadmedia.com. Holla at me with your comments, Twitter at BlueCarp, Facebook.com, BlueCarp, and go to BlueCarp.net. Government is not a tool of liberation. It is a tool of oppression. Freedom is dangerous, my friends dangerous.